Welcome back. Great American Dynasty podcast, episode eight. Um, you know, just got done with the Miami series. A uh, little bit of disappointment. But ultimately, um, what are you taking from this series that we can uh, move forward with in a way? Or what are we what do you honestly think that is happening that we're dropping two out of three to Miami? It, it's, I just feel like it's, you know, right now we're just playing with a tight asshole. It's, you know, trying to, trying to make every play, trying to, you know, hit the ball out of the ballpark every swing you know that that's it's not how you play baseball. You play baseball by getting runners on, you know, driving them in when needed. Um, you know, you start out the series with a big six zero win, and then it's like you just it it all the production just went downhill. I mean, you got a total of two runs in these past two games. And the Miami Marlins have outscored you eight to two in two games. So, you know, it, it's very frustrating. Um, you know, you didn't get that six zero win, as I mentioned, um, on Friday night. You know, very good start by Wade Miley. Um, you know, that's to be expected really are just Cy Young. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I mean, that that guy is just absolutely incredible what he's done for us this year. Um, Saturday night, um, you know, Gutierrez was bound to have a bad start at some point. Um, he had been hot for a while. Um, so, you know, obviously – you have your hot days. You have to not your not so hot days as a pitcher. This just was was one of those days where Gutierrez just didn't have his stuff. Um, and then, you know, that was compounded by Mustakas going down, um, which obviously, if that's uh, you know, out for you know, a couple weeks, maybe even the rest of the season, that's pretty big. That's a pretty big bat that's coming out of your lineup. Um, and he was starting to come around too. So, and then, you know, today's loss, that was really rough. Um, you know, you can blame, you can blame the umpire all you want. Um, but the fact of the matter is you got a guy who's in uh, Jesus Lazardo who's got, a seven ERA and you know, you're going out there and you know, you just got to put the bat on the ball, you know, or just make him come to you. Um, you know, obviously there, there's gotta be some sort of approach where, you know, you get these runners on, you move them over you get them in. Um, so it's just frustrating. There, there's no other way to put it. And I, I know I say frustrating 
a lot on this podcast, but it it's just the way it is. Yeah, and uh, I think me and you kind of talk about this a lot, but we consistently say like we're really just taking one step forward and then taking two steps back. And um, like you mentioned before, where you start off this series with a six to nothing win. And that was kind of like, uh, I thought it was going to be just a continuation of the last series that we had with the Marlins where we're blowing these guys out of the water. Um, But then, you know, like you said, Saturday, it's tough giving up five runs in the first inning. Um, so it's really hard to kind of bounce back from five runs in the first. Um, but ultimately, you know, just like we've been saying, Sunday is just not – Sunday you got to come out and take that game. There's just no other way to put it. You just – you got to do it. There's – when – you have an opportunity to to play a team that, as of right now, is almost 20 games under 500. I feel like you have to take advantage of that. Alcantara is a really good pitcher. You know, throws the ball with a lot of velocity and a lot of movement. So, yes, it's – we. We tagged him up before. This time around, we weren't so lucky. Oh, well. You know, he's a really good young pitcher. But just like you said, Lazardo, I just don't think there's any excuse for that to happen. Um, a lot of, I don't want to say, a lot of inconsistencies with the way we approach at-bats where some games – it seems like we've got nine Barry Bonds on steroids walking up to the plate, and it seems like every other pitch we're hitting it into a gap or at least putting a ball on a barrel. And then the next game, we look like we have nine pitchers rolling up to bat um, where we're, we're barely putting the ball in play, a lot of soft contact, a lot of swinging at balls that are hitting the plate. Um, and... There's really no other way to put it as of I just don't think that it can happen. You know, I I really – when it comes crunch time, like in the playoffs where we obviously want to go, um, one game like that can be the deciding factor. Because if you're losing a game that you should be winning, that's the difference between winning and losing a series. And then you're either advancing or you're sitting at home watching them on TV. And we just have to find a way to that. That third game has to be won. Like when you look at this upcoming series against St. Louis, you have to understand who you're facing. You know, you're, you're looking at this and you're two of these games, you're facing John Lester and J.A. Happ. So let, let's understand that these are two lefties and we've struggled against the lefties all year. These are not good pitchers. Like 
these were good pitchers. They are older, don't throw with a lot of velocity. Like, we have to come out and win these first two games. Lester and Jay Happ, and we've got Castillo going for us. This is really a statement to come out and, you know, let your balls hang. I mean, go out and show who we are and basically put this to bed before it can even start. And I had told you before this, and this is worrying me now because I did not know that this was um, as close as it is. St. Louis is only three and a half games back of you in the wild card. Not to mention, they're only three and a half back of the division two of us in the division. Um, it's, I honestly, I didn't know that it was that close. And it's really, you know, let's, ta- let's say they take two out of three from us. Now they're sitting at two and a half back, and more than likely San Diego is in that wild card spot. Now we're in deep trouble because now we've got to play up to San Diego. When if we're just beating these bad teams that we're playing, and St. Louis is bad, um, if we can beat some of the like beat these teams to where. We don't have to play up to a San Diego come late in the year. And just like you said, Moustakas going down, we better pray to the high heavens that this is a two-day, three-day thing that he just needs to rest, and then he'll be back and better than ever. Right, and uh, you know – this really compounds things in terms of, you know, you got a team that's right on your ass and you're eight and a half games out of the division. That's why that Milwaukee series was so big for us. And, um, you know, obviously we dropped that, that second game. We picked up the third game. Um, but, I mean, right now, I mean, the fact that we have one of the lightest strength of schedules – uh, right now just isn't coming into play because we're playing down to the competition. Um, so, you know, there's no other way to put it, but you got to start playing up to, you know, your full potential and what this – and start showing what this team is really made of, you know. Um, you got a quality start from Tyler Malley today. And you only put up one run uh, in his favor. I mean, he went seven innings. Sure, he got roughed up in that first inning, gave up two runs, but he went seven innings of, other than that, pretty damn good baseball. And you know, it it's time to get some red ass in that offense and start hitting the piss out of the ball, and you know, back up this damn good pitching core, you know, that's been coming out these past few days and letting it, letting it all on the line. Yeah. Like you said, uh, I think we've um, not really mentioned um, some of these performances that have been happening on the mound in depth. I mean, they think about, he gave up four hits 
and two of them were in the first inning that he gave up those two runs. And he gave up the single with two outs in the first and gave up a home run on the next batter. So he gave up half his hits in the first inning, gave up two hits in the rest of the six innings that he pitched, the sixth after the first. So I think it's – I mean, that's just – it's unbelievable that um, we can only put up one run and it's in the ninth um, when we had first and second nobody out and – you know, we can mention the situation in the ninth, but honestly, I just think that you have to be better in the first eight. Um, and you're putting yourself in a real bad disadvantage to where you're playing catch up late against a bullpen that's not terrible. I mean, Floro is not bad. And um, that second guy that came in, Bender, shooey, he was blowing doors. So I think you're really putting yourself in an awful position going into the ninth when you let Jesus Lazardo one hit you through six. Um, you know, we only had two base runners through six. So it's tough to see. Um, hopefully, you know, hopefully it's just another off day for us and, you know, we bounce back and, you know, we're the offense that is top 10 in the league in scoring runs, but, I mean, one run against the Marlins just is an awful showing. So let's hope that that um, bounces back. Um, But also would like to mention the the Asdrubal Cabrera signing and kind of get your thoughts on that. It's it's a very good signing. Um, You know, the numbers don't quite tell the story. 241 batting average this year, seven home runs, 40 RBI, uh, 709 OPS. But this guy is hitting 290 against left-handed pitching, and net and uh, five of our next ten, including these next two games against St. Louis, uh, are going to be against left-handed pitchers. So, you know, this is a good quality uh, utility infield bat. Um, that can, you know, if Moustakis is out for, you know, an extended period of time, you know, maybe he can fill that role. Um, you know, and if he can't, uh, you know, it's September call-ups are right around the corner, and uh, you're getting Jose Barrera back uh, Wednesday, I believe. So, you know, overall it's a very good signing. Um sort of low risk, you know, he's only on a one-year contract. So, and, you know, it's not like, you know, the Diamondbacks really need him anyway. So um, it's a, it's a great signing. Yeah. And um, I think, so there were rumors and I think this is a super uh, classy move by them in Arizona, but that they kind of let him go because he is a veteran and, they really don't have a shot at doing anything. So they let him go to sign with a team that has a chance to make the playoffs and uh, a team that he can make an immediate impact, not only in the regular season, but hopefully the postseason. So I thought that was awesome um, to see, you know, they, they've still got 
they're young guys down there, but you know, he's on a one year deal. Let him try and sort of ring chase at the end of his career to where when he's a veteran and he's given up so much for your team like that. Um, I just thought that was really awesome to see, but hopefully the reds aren't ever in that position in the next coming years to where, uh, we feel like we have to release a certain someone to let him ring chase, um, which would be awful to see. Uh, let's hope he gets one in Cincinnati this year. That's all I can say about that. So, you know, looking at this playoff race, this is just tough to look at. Um, you know, one and a half. One and a half back. We haven't really talked much about AL. And where I wanted to go with this is, as of right now, it's New York and Boston, the wild card. But are you... What are the chances that a team like in Oakland or Seattle or even a Toronto, because when we're looking at this and you've got Oakland's two and a half back, the wild card, Seattle's four and a half, Toronto's five and a half back, but Boston plays Tampa Bay. The Yankees play the angels and Oakland plays the tigers and Toronto plays the Orioles. So for me, I'm really worried about, looking at some of these teams because honestly these are super talented teams and I just don't know if anybody in the NL can keep up with sort of these these younger um, especially in Toronto you know this this younger team that for the next 10 years could be out of this world good. Oh, yeah. and I mean, you can make the same case for the White Sox, uh, the Mariners. Um, I mean, really, I mean, the teams in the AL are just stacked. I mean, you've got, you know, the second highest winning percentage in the league, period, in Tampa Bay. I mean, who just seems to reload every year, um, just trading for, you know, guys that really just come out of the blue and, you know, just start hitting the cover off the ball or just, you know, pitching absolute gems. Um, and then, you know, you've got the Chicago who has a very young core, um, Makata, Robert, Abreu, you name them. Um, you know, that's going to be a great team for years to come. Uh, that's going to be a real obstacle. Uh, Houston, that same core as always, Correa, Altuve, uh, cheaters, <clears throat> guys like that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that that's going to be a really – uh, fun race to watch and really um, just all that talent uh, that's just in that league period. I mean, you, you got Otani on the Angels, um, Guerrero, Bichette, 
uh, on on the Blue Jays. Um, not to mention uh, the boatload of talent that's you know on the Yankees, the Red Sox. Uh, I mean, it's just insane to think about. And you know, really, I mean, the only team that really I feel like could compete with that sort of level of talent would really be the Dodgers. I mean, just that sort of stacked roster, it's just insane to me. Yeah. Um, not to mention that Tampa Bay is doing this all without Glasnow. Um, so it's, you know, they call it Wander Franco, which he's been, you know, awesome. But it seems like, just like you said, where everybody that goes to Tampa Bay somehow is having, I mean, just take, let's just go for example, um, go Yarborough, guy that's not high velocity, you know, not exactly your strikeout type of pitcher where he's striking out less than one per inning, but he's seven and four on a year right now. And this is a name that um, you haven't heard in a while. Michael Waka is in their rotation right now. So, like, they're doing this with plug-and-fill guys each year. So, I think it's amazing that Tampa every single year is, you know, reloading, refilling with guys that, other people, other teams, other organizations don't find a lot of value in, but they're plugging in these type of guys and trading um, actively, calling up, finding guys that nobody else wanted, and turning them into solid, solid uh, hitters, solid pitchers. You know, got to give it up to them at that point. However, looking back at our league in the NL, we've got a complete dumpster fire as of right now. And stuff is continuously coming out on this. But let's just um, break this down first. So today, the New York Mets played a baseball game. They played against... The Washington Nationals. And the New York Mets had have a player um, by the name of Javi Baez and multiple players on that team when they are succeeding and they get a hit or they hit a home run. Today, they have looked in the stands and done a thumbs down motion like like a boo motion and after the game he was asked about it and he had a um, let's just say rather interesting quote that I would like to read off let's see he said to let the fans know when we don't get success, we're going to get booed. 
So they are going to get booed when we have success. Um, so I'm going to mention this straight off the top. If any Reds player were to do that, uh, take, let's take, for example, Amir Garrett. He was getting booed off the field at some points during this season. If he went and said that about um, about Cincinnati, I think everybody would be furious and to good standard. That's like that's bottom of the barrel. I mean, that's about as low as it gets. That there are people that come and spend hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars coming to watch you, support you, cheer you on. They, I, I understand getting frustrated when you're getting booed because everyone is trying to play well. It's not like you're trying to go up and, and play bad. Um, but that's just awful to, when you're 8 and 19 on the month, and the, that's after the bias trade. You added supposedly this awesome player and you're 8 and 19 from it. That's a joke, number one. Number two, then you're going to point the finger at the fans that buy tickets, buy your jerseys, come to the games. If if you don't want that to happen, I just say go to Miami. Nobody goes to the games. You don't have to get booed there. And go play where nobody gives a shit about anything. So... My thoughts on that are exactly what I just said, but I'm interested to hear um, hear kind of your thoughts, or maybe um, you know some of, some of the people that are tweeting some of these things, like like um, Jeff Passan tweeted. I just honestly I don't understand it. Um, you know it's. It's like if at your job you point the finger at your boss when you don't do well. Like, yes, you're frustrated, but you just can't do that. That's just not, you can't do that. You know, he's only been on the team for a month, and uh, he's already speaking for uh, those other players on the team. Um, You know, that that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, first of all. Uh, Second of all, um, it really just goes to show how classless uh, Javi Baez really is. Um, You know, you are basically driving away, you know, any sort of support that that organization may get uh, or may pick up in the city of New York or pretty much around baseball period. I mean, that is just absolutely, you know, we, we always talk about growing the game uh, on this podcast and on the website. You know, this is, this is the exact opposite of growing the game. You know, this is just being stuck up, spoiled and just pretty much, you know, it, it, it's just a middle finger to the fans uh, 
basically. And, you know, the, the notion that, you know, you can just do it right back to them. They're not the ones that aren't performing. You know, it, it's pretty much your guys' fault that you're not performing. You know, you're 8-19, and 19, you know, since that trade or whatever. You know, it, it's – how? How do you come up with that logically that it's their fault that you're not performing? You are the ones on the field. You are the ones – that have been tasked uh, with the duty of performing. You're the ones getting paid to perform. They are paying to see you. I mean, it, it, it doesn't make any sense of how, you know, you can come up with that decision logically. Yeah. And I just like, this is not an excuse. Like, I don't think this is an excuse that either of us are saying that's like, okay, well, if um, if they perform bad, they should be treated poorly. That's not at all the point. The point is, is that when you group, there are good fans and there are bad fans. And when you group both of them together, you're just going to drive away exa- exactly what you said. You're just going to drive a wedge and drive away the people that want to come to these games every day. And I will never understand the the pointing the finger at somebody else. You're the one. Like, you are the one swinging the bat. You are the one that is hitting 240 and leads the league in strikeouts. It's not them. It's uh, you're here because you're best friends with a guy that just signed one of the biggest deals ever. That's why. If if they really wanted to get a trade done and improve that team, they would have traded for Chris Bryant. But they didn't, and I think that speaks a lot to the way that. Um, the way that Lindor, the Lindor Baez relationship is perceived because it's all good and well that you're best friends. And, but when it comes down to it, you're in third place right now. You're in third place. And the first place team is an Atlanta team without Ronald Acuna Jr. Without Mike Soroka. So what are we doing here? You are seven games back of a wild card spot. You are in no position to open your mouth about the fans that come to your games. I will never understand, never, ever in a million years understand um, a guy that just isn't that good or isn't impacting your team in a positive way um, coming out and speaking just like you said speaking for guys and let, let, let's just dive into this for a quick second so 
the three players that did um, did the thumbs down today were um, Baez, was Kevin Pillar, and was um, Lindor. So if if we're just gonna look at look at this, Baez, he's hitting two forty two. Lindor right now is it's unbelievable hitting 224 and you look at Kevin Pillar and he's hitting 212 so let's just be crystal clear and say if Pete Alonso came out and said this or did it in a way that was like, you know, we're busting our ass, give us a little slack, we're trying. Or if a guy like let's let's just compare it to the Reds and if the Reds team did this. If Suarez came out and said that, everybody would be like, dude, shut your mouth. Stop, because you are contributing in no sort of way to this team's success. But if Joey came out and said it, or Nick came out and said it, you'd be like, you would take it a different way. And that's just the bottom line, is that when you've got a guy that you just signed to a $300 million contract who's hitting 224 for you, and you're booing the fans in a way, I honestly, I just don't understand it. And I never will. You know, you kind of touched on this, you know, the true, you know, the true fans really don't mean it as a personal slight or form of disrespect um, towards these players. You know, to me, that's more of an, you know, booing a player is more of an indictment to, you know, the front office, the guys who run who run you out there every day because they can't come up with a better replacement for you. Um, you know, that's, it, it's nothing, you know, really that's supposed to be, you know, hurtful personally. It's just, they want better, uh, you know, and really fans deserve better than, you know, someone who's, you know, batting 240, leading the league in strikeouts, like you said. Um, you know, maybe not Mets fans, but, um, you know, certainly. Yeah, let's not forget, New York fans are crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, experienced uh, some of them uh, this year, earlier this year. Not the brightest bunch, but, uh, you know. It's it's sort of an indictment as to where that franchise is, and you know how far they've fallen from 2015, and you know that sort of magical run. Um, so it, it's it's a very unfortunate situation, but you know, kind of did it to themselves. Yeah, let's not forget that this team was in first place not even a month ago. And now you're seven games back in third place. 
So to me, like, just like I said, this is in no way saying that when a team or a player is performing bad that you're allowed to be like super derogatory or like, you know, throw stuff or anything like that. But like you, you're booing because a player does bad. I'm not like, I'm not sure where like the problem is with that in a sense. Um, you know, you're, you're not from experience. I can say this. Um, you're not really booing the player. You're booing the, the action that happened. And I'm sorry, but if I'm a New York fan, I'm like Francisco Lindor was getting booed for hitting not even 150 to start the year. You have to understand that front office just signed you to a massive long-term deal before you even played a game in New York. And then you go out and play like you should be getting paid not even 2% of that deal. So I think that this fan base in general has really every right to be upset. But um, just looking at some of these statements, here's a little bit of the statement that the owner had to say about it. Um, one of the, let's just say, one of the quotes is, the players and organization are equally frustrated, but fans at City Field have every right to express their disappointment. Booing is every fan's right. The Mets will not tolerate any player gesture that is unprofessional in its meaning or is directed in a negative way towards our fans. I will be meeting with our players and staff to convey this message directly. I mean, that's, this is a shit show. You've got, it seems like you've got guys that are on the field that are on a different page than the guys that are making decisions up in the front office. That's not a spot where you want to be, especially when, as a fan base, you're looking at this team thinking, wow, we can really compete this year. I mean, it's it's just the proverbial dumpster fire. Uh, it's pretty much you, – you pretty much nailed it. I mean, the fans have every right to voice their frustrations. Um I mean, you know, you're, you're pretty much telling them what they can and can't do, you know, by doing that, you know, that, I mean, you know, it, it's sort of cheesy, but I mean, this is America, this is a free country, you know, we can sort of, you know, voice our displeasures when something doesn't quite go our way. And right now, you know, this season isn't shaping up to go you know, the Mets way. So, you know, fans have a right to voice their displeasure at that, you know? And like I said, it's, it's nothing personal against the players. You know, it, it's just sort of, you know, an old coach of ours used to say, you know, I'm not yelling, you know, when, whenever we do something wrong, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at the actions that you performed. You know, 
Um, you know, they're not booing them personally. They're not, you know, like you said, throwing slurs at them or, you know, sort of doing anything derogatory or throwing anything at them. You know, they're just displeased with the actions that they're performing and they expect better. Yeah, and we are, I think this is a very different conversation if there was like, you know, slurs and stuff that was thrown and, you know, we would be speaking in a whole different manner. But, I mean, you're mad because you got booed after not playing well. I'm just not, I'm just not convinced that this is all the fans' fault. That's just not right. Okay. So moving on, I think this is an interesting and also an interesting discussion. Um, you know, coming up, we've got guys, some guys that are on their contract year. And there are two things that I really want to mention with this um, that I have kind of thought about a little bit. So Castellanos is rumored to decline his option enter free agency and honestly looking at it how can you blame him um you know been one of the best hitters one of the best players in baseball throughout this year i mean he could go out and get paid get paid upper 20s low 30s millions of dollars um it's honestly kind of like a trevor bauer situation where he pitched so well for us and then kind of left and Honestly, you can't really blame him for that. But um, I think one of the more intriguing discussions is that Tucker Barnhart has a team option coming up for this year or this next coming year. I do believe that the Reds pick up this team option. I think it would be – I just don't know why you wouldn't. Um, but looking past that – Let's say we're in the same spot next year as we are right now in this year. Are you looking if if you're if you're in the front office, are you looking to re-sign Tucker? Or are you clean slate? We're moving with Stevenson all the way. And we're basically going away from this two-catcher system where now I want I want Tyler Stevenson catching 120 games a year. Are you – and I think this is an interesting discussion for the fact that um, Sonny and Tucker get along, it seems like, very, very well. It seems like they have a lot of rhythm, a lot of – uh, chemistry going forward, but and it seems like Tucker is that way with a lot of pitchers. But to me, in the kind of the naked eye, Tyler Stevenson is just bigger, stronger, faster, better. So, what is your take on sort of where we would be at if we're in the same spot, you know, now? like we would be next year. Yeah, I think uh, 
definitely, I think Tyler Stevenson uh, really is sort of uh, the way to go here. I mean, he is pretty much the catcher of the future in this organization. Um, you know, obviously Tucker, you know, he, he's a gold glove catcher. Um, this year he's hit the cover off the ball. Um, you know, I, I think the way that they're sort of playing them off each other right now, they're kind of easing, uh, Stevenson into, you know, that sort of 120 game, uh, like you mentioned, sort of catching role. Um, you know, so, you know, there's something to be said about the camaraderie uh, between, you know, guys like Sonny and Tucker and, you know, between pitcher and catcher. But at the same time, you know, there's a time and a place where you have to accept, okay, do we really, you know, need this guy uh, for – you know, however, however many years down the line, because, you know, Tucker might be looking to get, you know, some sort of extended deal, uh, like a multi-year deal. Um, you know, he's, he's sort of getting up there in age. Um, and then, you know, or do you want to move on and sort of, you know, get with this, you know, guy who's built for the future, who's bigger, faster, stronger, you know, hits, hits even better than, you know, a guy who's already a pretty solid hitter. Um, you know, obviously he's not as polished, uh, yet defensively, but that comes with experience that comes with time. Um, so, you know, there, there's definitely a, a conversation to be had there, but I believe, uh, you go ahead and you move forward to the future and you sort of lock Tyler Stevenson into that everyday role. Yeah. Um, I was kind of thinking along the same lines because when you're giving, so the, right now they have around the same at bats, but right now Tucker's hitting 266 and Stevenson's hitting 289 um, with a lot of their stats being very, very similar. Um, but I think also, just like you said, there's something to be said along the lines of if Tyler Stevenson gets 500 at-bats a year, he's going to produce well above if Tucker got 500 bats a year. Um, just how much bigger and how much stronger he is, I just think more balls are going to fly out of the ballpark. Um, you're going to have more opportunities for that. And I think he honestly gives you a lot more versatility in your lineup. You can roll him out there and bat him in that three to five range. So all the pressure is not really on Castellanos, not really on Joey, you know. Um, and I think this is where sort of that as Drupal Carrera signing comes in to where you have that stability to where I can, I can be comfortable if we have guys that are stable and we know what we're going to get from them each and every year and they're average players, they're not, you know, they're not MVP level, but they're not bad. They're just average right down the middle. 
I'm more comfortable saying, okay, now we can move on because I think that we are going to get a more explosive um, hitter, more explosive just energy all around if we move on. I am 100% comfortable with that. Now, you will have to sign somebody um, because if you're going to stick with Let's just say we let Tucker walk. Your catcher, your next catcher is Kyle Farmer. Um, And that's not something that you want um, because of the year he's having out at short. You sure as hell don't want him behind the plate. Um, You know, he's been solid, as solid can get. So it'd be interesting to see if they sign anybody. Um, or even who they would sign. But honestly, I'm super, super comfortable moving on. If if in 500 at-bats, he's going to hit me eight, 20, close to 20 home runs, hit close to 80 RBIs, like he's on pace to, if he got those at-bats, I am completely fine with that. That is an upgrade and a half. Um, of course, just like you said, you are losing that defensive um, presence behind the plate. Um, Tucker's a gold glove candidate year in and year out, but you know, right now hitting rules baseball, and no matter how good you are defensively, I have to get we have to get some level of production out of you at the plate that's not below league average. Um, And it's just like Jonathan India, where Jonathan India doesn't have to be great at all things. He just has to be great at one or two things in in his game, where he's getting on base at this very, very high rate, so it allows Winker, Castellanos, Vado, Stevenson, even Kyle Farmer, to really explode, um, you know, because he's all, he is always on base, and hitting with runners on base is better than not, obviously. So, to me, I think we're on the same page with this, that I just don't see a way where Tucker's going to want close to probably seven you know, low, low single digit or high single digits or low double digits. And to me, it's just not worth it when you have a guy like Tyler Stevenson. So also, um, moving around kind of the infield, I think this is also an interesting conversation is what to do with Suarez. Um, with with Jonathan India there, it is impossible to sit him. With the way Vado is performing, it's impossible to sit him. When with the way Cal Farmer's performing, that's just league average. You know, he's not been this MVP type of hitter, but he's not been bad. Um, he's been just enough to where we can th- really thrive as a team. And 
with India being at second, you take Mustakas away from that conversation at second because you're locking in that second baseman with India. If a healthy Mustakas, he's playing third, especially with the way Suarez is playing now. So are you moving forward? Are you thinking that this is going to be a platoon situation at third? It's a very tough conversation because, you know, Suarez has done so much uh, for this organization uh, over the years. Um, you know, obviously had that big year in 2019, you know. Um, but he just hasn't performed uh, up to that level ever since. Um, you know, has had a lot of struggles last year and he struggled even more this year. Um, you know, that move to short really sort of, I feel like it's sort of almost like confused him almost uh, just sort of, you know, losing that weight, sort of losing that power. Um, and now he's sort of, you know, had to sort of find a different way to get on base, to pretty much change his entire uh, sort of approach to the plate. Um, so it, it's really tough. Um, but I don't think you really, I don't think he really has uh, sort of a future uh, with this ball club. Um in that sort of in the sort of situation where Mustaka stays healthy, um, you know, even when Mustaka stays healthy, I mean, he's he, he doesn't stay healthy. I mean, that that's a liability in that lineup. Um, someone who's batting one six one seventy four and has like a six hundred OPS, you know, that that's not really. Uh, someone that you want in that lineup say that we're still, you know, in sort of a, a playoff picture come that come this time next year, you know, that's, that's a position that you want an upgrade. Yeah. And it's tough. Just like you said, cause I mean, let's not forget that, this was a guy that in 2018 and 2019 hit a combined 83 home runs for you. So it's really tough to say that we can just, you know, move on um, because we know what's in there. We know what we can get. You know, you're looking at this 2019 stat line where he had 49 home runs, 103 RBIs, and he hit 271. Right now he's hitting, obviously he's not on pace for the 49 home runs, but he has 23 home runs and 66 RBIs, but he's hitting 100 points lower. So it's, it, like you said, it's so tough. And honestly, if... um. You know, 
Moustakis is the ideal candidate. If Suarez is going to perform like that and Moustakis is going to perform like he has been. But the issue is that Moustakis is, when he's healthy, he's not healthy, just like you said. It seems like he's he's on the injured list, comes back, and then he plays two weeks and he's out again. So realistically, I'm hoping that we come back next year and he's fully, 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 fully healthy. But as of right now, I think we are looking towards that platoon situation to where we just got to hope Suarez finds his way again. And that sucks to say because we are, I don't want to waste the Votto years that we're having. Um, you know, Votto has been awesome for us. Doesn't matter. I don't care what anybody says about that. Um, about his contract or whatever, but you know, it's just the difference of when you're striking out that much, you have to put the ball in play a little bit more. You just have to. And it's very concerning that next year we could be looking into it where Nick Castellanos might not be a red and some somebody's got to fill that void if we're going to make the playoffs again. You know, you can't just substitute. You can't just take Cassianos out of that lineup and expect it to be the same because it's just not. So in reality, these past two years have been tough on Suarez looking at the numbers. Um, and it's like we've kind of been saying, you said it earlier, um, looking back at the series to where, you know, eventually, like, you've got to change something and do something else. And we've got to start putting the ball in play a little bit more because you're striking out so often that it doesn't matter how many home runs you hit. You're striking out at almost a 200 times a year pace and that just can't happen so like as of right now he's got 149 strikeouts which is more which is the third most in his career at this point where again he hit in the year the 2019 year he had 189 strikeouts but he hit 49 home runs and hit 271 not to mention that he's walking at a much uh, significantly less rate. You know, he, he's only got 45 walks on the year. We're almost at the point to where he's striking out three times for every walk that he has. And that just can't happen. Um, you know, it you cannot get to that point you're taking away three at-bats and just throwing them to the curb out of of 10. Um, You know, and it it, honestly, it sucks to say because he is such a likable guy and a fan favorite. Um, But I just really, I don't know what to do about it. 
thinking about it, you've got we just gotta hope that he returns to what he was, or else honestly, we're screwed coming up. Okay, and I think uh, that's going to wrap it up for episode eight. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and uh, contact us if you have anything. We'll see you in episode nine.